the god of hellfire, and I bring you fire. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Jeremy. Well, my name's Adam. Oh, new format. <laughs> this is where we turn everything upside down. This issue, everything changes. Oh, wait, have I been Jeremy all along? <laughs> Maybe this was what we were planning this whole time. Or not. Or not, no. I'm Jeremy. It's it's true. He's Jeremy, and we're gonna read a comic book today, aren't we? Ah, uh, this is uh, X Men number sixty four, the January nineteen seventy issue. It's in the seventies. I can't wait. There's gonna be bell bottoms and disco, disco lights, the whole works. You name it, it's gonna be in there. I just know it. I envision lots of superheroes with roller skates. You know, bell bottoms became popularized in the in the sixties. Yeah, but Marvel Comics, you know, as we've seen with like the Beatnik period and stuff like that, seems to be about five to seven years behind pop culture. Mm. I mean, at least in um, in this timeline, and I'll explain. You know, so like earlier in the X Men, we had uh, the Beatniks and what what was that guy Bernard Bernard the uh, the hip poet and whatever. But he was kind of a throwback to either the early 60s or the late 50s. But by the time we were reading that comic book, it was like 67, 68. Um, And then when I was reading comic books, all of the things that they seemed to be referencing, uh, music and culture, seemed to be like three to four years prior. They were pretty on the ball when they played the monkeys and Bob Dylan in that one episode. Ah, uh, that's a good point. Well, I mean, somebody, you know, somebody turned a radio on and was like, what are these kids like? <laughs> oh, the monkeys and Bob Dylan. That's actually kind of a weird combo if you think about it. You don't normally put those two artists next to one another in your compilation. Mm, they're, both, they're both kind of folk, folk pop. Uh, yeah, yeah. One's a little more poppy, one's a little more folky. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't know if any hardcore Dylan fans would feel the same way about that, but you never know. But then uh, I was actually reading some comics of recent, and it seems like they almost try too hard to um, copy pop culture or current sayings and phrases and stuff like that. You know, bell-bottoms are back in, so you should feel right at home. Yeah, yeah. Well, none of the X-Men of of late are wearing bell-bottoms, so again... They're not? They're going to be like three years behind. But I guess my point is is that I almost prefer my comic books a little bit behind the times. Um, I was reading some of the current Spider-Man run, but not like the most current, probably like 20 or 30 issues uh, prior. And it seems like Peter Parker's talking way too much like uh, a, you know young 2000s hipster and i don't like it how old is peter parker at this point <laughs> well let's see i mean well i mean how old is he supposed to be because he's clearly uh, not as old as he's like right and that's what i was trying to figure out not not obviously is he in his 30s now well he was in high school he graduated he, he went and got a full-time gig at the daily bugle no the uh <laughs> that other no wait it's the bugle right yes yeah, the yeah. daily bugle and uh, he got married. Not to be confused with the Daily Planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, wait a minute, am I mixing up Superman and Spider-Man? Because now I think J. Jonah Jameson isn't even the um, editor of the Daily Bugle, is he? He's like the no, mayor or something. he's the mayor. Yeah. I don't know. I would put him at the mid-30s. But then again, I think I would put all of the superheroes at about mid-30s, except for, like, Wolverine. The Bugle got bought out and became the DB. What's the DB? Is that an online service? Yep. Sweet. <laughs> See, again, that's just like, it's just too, too, too um, art representing real life. And I don't know if I really like it. Well, I mean, J. Jonah Jameson was forced out of the business. So he was he was trying to keep papers alive. 
I suppose. Because on the other hand, you know, five years from now, if they're still writing comic books, people are going to be like, what is this newspaper thing they keep talking about? Like, news- Interesting commentary, considering that <laughs> the uh, comic books are going through the same thing as newspapers. Yeah. You think there's going to be a date when there's no paper comic books? No, there won't. But but there there will definitely be a date when digital outsells paper Yeah, in comic books. But I think there will always be... At the very least, graphic novels, but I oh. think there will always be paper, too. Well, let think, consider this, then. Maybe there will always be the trade paperback, but not necessarily the monthly, bi-monthly bound Yeah, that's what I'm saying, book. is I think oh, okay. that, that'll always be there, too. You think the comic books, the monthly comic book, will still be there as well? Yep. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know what current comic book sales trends are like. But I, I drive. I mean, there's always going to be people like uh, the like the people that like to own books, and like to own comic books, and you know collectors and. Yeah, but there's people that would prefer to read a magazine or a newspaper rather than having to do it online, and those people. Yeah, are... and that's why newspapers and magazines will never stop publishing either. No, they're falling away. Like I just read, like Time Magazine or Life Magazine, or one of those two is going all digital. Like completely, they're abandoning paper. It wasn't time, but it was one of the big ones. I think it was life. <laughs> That's was, impressive. Was going all digital, and we were seeing newspapers drop. I mean, one of our local newspapers uh, shrunk its size, and then I don't know, like went to a buy like every other day distribution, and now it's online only. Nintendo Power stopped. Yeah, Nintendo Power's done. Of course, are they doing an, an online only Nintendo Power? Or is it just tips no, and tricks online? They just gave up. Oh, man. Well, as far as I know, I'm, I don't keep up on <laughs> Nintendo that much, but I did have like the first few issues of Nintendo Power. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pile the Nintendo Powers in the collection. Well, anyways, you didn't, you didn't come here to listen to us wax on about days of past and the future of media, did you? Were you asking me? That's that's why I came here. Oh, I was asking the listener who actually has no method of responding to us at this <laughs> very. This moment. episode's almost over, right? Yes. Uh, Join us next time when we'll be actually reading X-Men number 64, (laughs) the January 1970 issue. Uh, Yeah. No, let's read this this issue. It's titled The Coming of Sunfire. Yeah, and uh, on the cover of it, you get the five X-Men who seem to be at the nation's capital with this crazy man in a flag of Japan costume who's flying around and shooting Iceman. I do not like this cover. No. Um, Neil Adams really phoned it in on this cover. I'm is it Neil t- Adams? I wonder. It is. I guess it seems like it's Neil Adams. I don't think it's but Neil as Adams. we find out inside, <laughs> he's nowhere to be found. Yeah, this is a story by Roy Thomas and Don Heck. Back together again. Uh, little side note, Don Heck was asked either to draw in the style of... Neil Adams or to ape Neil Adams's like characterizations or figures or something like that. Where do you get that from? From the omnibus. Oh, I did notice here that Tom Palmer is embellishing, so potentially doing some inking for him. So that might be lending to the Neil Adams-esque. Yeah, I think inkers are always more important than uh, they're given credit for. So he may have been asked to try to mirror uh, Neil Adams and I honestly I think it only comes out in this very first page of Sunfire and then the... I think it comes out in the faces throughout this issue the faces are a lot stronger or I guess not really stronger but they don't seem like Don Heck faces they seem closer to Neil Adams faces okay but it's still very Don Heck but the layouts are totally Don Heck well the layouts are terrible I think the, the layouts figures are Don Heck I feel like the layouts are like um, Don Heck trying to do Neil Adams layouts. Really? Because I, 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 I'm I, not succeeding. No, no, it's bad. Because I feel like traditional Don Heck is six panels per page, maybe sometimes four, but no like diagonal lines and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is this is all this is disorienting to read. But so let's let's get right into it, huh? Little note about this issue. Uh, the the editor of this particular comic book at the time, um, I forget who it was, asked Roy Thomas to do a fill-in issue 
to give everybody a little chance to get material ahead of time. Okay. So that they would have like advanced material. And that's why Neil Adams is not on this book because this is a fill in issue. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> Oddly enough, though, it's a fill in issue that will lend a lot of uh, future material. Yeah. So it's not like the luck. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not like that horrible Blastar issue. <laughs> uh, and there is a special note here that says that they sincerely thank Don Heck for pinch hitting because Neil Adams is busy. Doesn't say what, but he's busy. Yeah. That's just falsehood for saying we decided to do a fill in issue so that we'd be <laughs> ahead of schedule. So. We get That's a, the story I read anyway uh, from I be, the Omnibus. I believe it. Look, if it's in the Omnibus, why would they lie? These are Roy Thomas's words. <laughs> so the cover of this, or not the cover, but the first page is a splash of Sunfire, who is a man who is very angry at the insects down below. He's got a big red costume with a Japanese flag color scheme. And um, he's got like a dragon type mask, like you see in some of those uh, uh, some of those Japanese import movies that I sometimes watch, where they do the festival things, and you oh, see sure. the, the the several people underneath the the long cloak with the big head. Yeah, like the human dragon float, if you will. Yeah, exactly, and that's what this kind of reminds me of. His mask. I think his mask looks stupid. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> so meanwhile, uh, we get a brief synopsis that the menace of Magneto has ended and they're going to move on. Oh my God, I turn the page and I get these two pages after that after that nice title page. And all I see is like words, <laughs> so many words. There are a lot. like, what happened? What happened to the nice, like slow pacing, pretty comic books that we were getting used to? All I see is words, words, Jeremy, words. There are a lot of word balloons. I think everybody in here gets at least three per panel. Except for Marvel Girl. Marvel Girl doesn't say a whole lot in this issue. So, yeah, it's hard to describe what's going on. I guess they came back to New York uh, instead of going back to the school. I don't know why. It doesn't really say. Um, and Beast, Angel, and Iceman are doing some reconnaissance. Yeah. Beast has a portable Cerebro unit. I gather. I don't, I don't I'm not sure where they are, but they have a Cerebro with them. Later. We're going to find out that they're in a, in an apartment in New York. Okay. So and we also find out later that Marvel girl and Cyclops are shopping. Yeah. So that's apparently why it's just the three of them, but yeah, they have like a mini Cerebro, but they're, they look like they're inside of an apartment. So I don't know how they got their mini Cerebro here. For a mini Cerebro, it's pretty big, too. It is pretty huge. So they track down a mutant, and they decide that they are going to find this mutant and hope that he is friendly. Because if he's not, it'll be it'll be dangerous because he's given off quite a signal. It's just possible that, just like every other mutant that we've encountered, he's the most powerful mutant ever. Beast is talking about, look, there's a bad guy, or there's a mutant, we should go get him. And Angel says, personally, Beast, I like you as a one-man thesaurus. And Beast says, scoff at my versatile vocabulary as you will, Scotty. Oh, yeah. The fact remains that there's an unidentified mutant. So mm. Beast just referred to Angel as Scott. I don't know. It's, a, it's an error. It's worth pointing out that this issue is completely phoned in. <laughs> Anyhow. Meanwhile, not the first time that Scott has been referred to when not there. Yeah, yeah. And so Sunfire is thinking to himself as he's flying around that he's done reconnoitering and he discovers a this thing. He goes to the United Nations where a Mr. Yoshida, mm -hmm. a Japanese ambassador of some sort, is giving a speech and, uh, unveiling a statue of what looks like several naked men. Well, not <laughs> naked. They're in their underwear. I like So it's in, interesting. This comic is the 70s, and the, the bomb was dropped, what, 40, 
47, 48, something like that, 45. I don't know. Somewhere in the mid 40s. And yep. so I guess this would that would put this issue approximately what? 25 years. Yeah. Okay. 20, 22, 24, something like that. Clearly we're we're just not very good at history, but somewhere in that vicinity is when this when this would have taken place or been written anyways. So the Japanese ambassador is he's going to give the gift or something or he's going to christen the statue or something but one of the people in the audience says that's my kind of guy he makes me feel like maybe the big one was worth it after all (laughs) which i'm like wait wait what (laughs) (laughs) that's terrible it's a good thing we blew them up because look at these nice japanese people we have now and they're pretty artwork that they're providing for us (laughs) so i just i thought that was weird verbiage to use there but anyways so the statue is three men in their underwear it looks like I'm assuming a white man, a black man, and the third one I'm assuming is a Japanese, but you can't really tell. I can only see. Oh, I see. There's oh, there's the three men uh, on the bottom. I have no idea what that third man is supposed to be. And it's it's supposed to be the youth of the world, and that you know it's it's a it's a statue of peace, I suppose. Well, it symbolizes. Uh, peace may yeah, our planets unity, different races getting together and may, holding hands may our planets young people know peace for as long as these marble figures endure why are they in their underwear i don't know man so yeah. the sunfire guy comes in and he's thinking the same thing we are like why are there only three people on there that doesn't represent the world no he's very actually he's very angry for some reason he uh he calls, he calls Mr. Yoshida a traitor mm-hmm. and then promptly destroys the statue. Yes. With his amazing sunfire blasts, he shoots, looks like heat slash lightning from his hands. And this is where the panels literally explode in a cacophony of disorientation. Because these panels are going all over the place. The crowd begins to run it's time to split before he decides it's time for toasted flower child says a member of the audience so so, i mean clearly a reference to the hippie uh uh culture yeah there'd be hippies there i suppose i don't know if they referred to themselves as toasted flower child oh maybe she's stoned is that is that the girl talking or the dude i have no idea actually it's I don't know. Well, she's not no. saying she she or he is not saying they're toasted. They're saying I they better know. run before they get toasted. It's the guy. It's not the girl. I actually, there's a freaky looking dude in the background, but still. Oh, and this guy calls it a heat ray. So not lightnings, but <laughs> heat. Some kind of heat ray. Uh, he calls the nation uh, weaklings. So he's he's insulting America, and uh, he's wondering if anybody would dare fight Sunfire. And, of course, the X-Men, who show up just in the nick of time, say that they will face Sunfire. Iceman freezes Sunfire, which apparently has no effect because in the next panel that we see Sunfire, he's no longer frozen. Uh, One of the crowd members comments that the X-Men is defending them, and they always heard that they were criminals. So, you know, you keep that storyline going a little bit. I wonder, is, is Scott still wanted? (laughs) <laughs> i don't know for the murder of random uh <laughs> random villain <Pharaoh> guy <laughs> yeah i don't know i'm sure we will wrap that story up before too long oh, we better have it up soon <laughs> <laughs> so beast swings around and he's 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 thinking that this is what's going to um repair the x-men's reputation by taking down this villain so he swings into action and jumps on top of Sunfire. He jumps on his back thinking that he's going to carry him down to the ground with his weight. But uh, Sunfire is quite strong and flies up with the beast on his back, which surprises the beast. And then he shoots Beast in the face with his heat blast. Yep. Yow! Dog. And he falls down to the ground. Um Angel notices, and he speeds in. He has to pour on the speed like never before. 
Like he always does. <laughs> it seems like Angel's always pouring on the speed like never before. But so he catches Beast. Uh, Beast, meanwhile, I guess is playing second in command because he starts barking out commands to the rest of the X-Men. Yeah, I guess since Cyclops isn't there, Beast is in control. Yeah. He says, Iceman, get that assassin off of Angel's back. And so uh, even Iceman's kind of like, all right, yes, you're still in trouble. Or I mean, you're, you're in charge. So Iceman makes some ice, giant ice frisbees and flying, he calls them frozen flying saucers. I like ice frisbees better. Yeah, they look more like frisbees than flying saucers. That's a better explanation. (laughs) And he flings them at uh, Sunfire, who is momentarily surprised, but apparently easily dodges them. We don't actually see. And then he flies away. I see the police below waiting to kill me if I do not heed their warning shots. So, I'm out of here. Angel tries to catch up and say, Oh, wait, we're fellow mutants. We just want to have a little talk. But it's too late. He's too fast for Angel. A pity I don't have time to teach you just how superior to you I am, winged one. And then he blasts off with a with a mighty... Uh, looks like some sort of jet thruster blast. What's his power source anyway? He just clicks his heels, and I'm left with egg on my face. They, um, the three X-Men come back to their apartment, and I gotta point out, there's like a little green dancing statue on the uh, table there that just looks awesome. Do you see that? It's like a little Buddha. <laughs> but he's dancing, his arms up in the air. He's <laughs> got like a little, I don't know, green uh, Hawaiian skirt thing on. It's like a Hulk Buddha. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Like a sumo Hulk, though. Anyways, he's got like an Elmo head, just like one big mouth, and it looks like there's just two eyes on the top of his head. <laughs> I want one. If one of those like uh, super articulate toy companies could make one of these, that would be so cool. <laughs> I'd buy one. Anyways, Marvel Girl and Cyclops were out shopping, as we alluded to earlier, and uh, but they were we aware heard about it on the radio, Warren. Yeah, and the press ended up blaming the whole thing on the X Men, apparently. Marvel Girl grabs Beast uh, and says, let me take a look at those burns. She concludes that it looks like she's he's been badly sunburned. You'll need lots of rest. The X-Men will find the mutant called Sunfire, but they'll do it without Henry C. McCoy, which begs the question, is this the first time we're learning what Beast's middle name is? And what does the C stand for? Good question. Um, <laughs> what was his father's name? Do you remember? I want to say it was like Douglas or something. The, yeah, it's I don't very, it wasn't. Maybe. I'm was, going to go for Charles, Henry Charles McCoy. I don't think it was Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Since they already have a Charles on the team. Okay, well, anyways, we flash across town several dozen blocks to the south. A very traditional or stereotypical Japanese man is massaging Sunfire in a most <laughs> a bald inappropriate way. A thin mustache. Yes, yes. Uh, and he says that uh, he's, he's, you've done well, Shiro, who apparently is Sunfire's real name. Thank you, Uncle. Yet even in the heat of battle, it all seemed somehow wrong. Have you forgotten, Nafio? Oh, don't do that. <laughs> well, come on. Based on the way he's drawn, that's exactly how he talks. Oh, I know, and I was <laughs> tempted to do it too, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> All right, that'll be the last one, the only one. <laughs> Apparently the motivation here is that Uncle uncle Whoever uh, was witness to the the bombing of Hiroshima. Well, it, not witness. It, uh, but... Yeah, it looks like Shiro... He says, "I remember well the scenes I never saw." Well, I think Which, what I think that what that I think what that's inferring though is Uncle has like told him, you know, every right, night over like, and over. Right. The bedtime story was well. <laughs> let me tell you a story about Hiroshima God, again, Uncle. This is important. So I think that's what he's alluding to. He's like, I'm fighting for a cause that I wasn't actually even a part of, but it's been told to me so many times that I can see it just as visibly as if I was there. It made a hopeless invalid of my mother. That's that's awful. So I guess 
uh, uncle was not witness to it because it does say that they were many miles from the center of the city. So they, they got afflicted with the after shocks, blast, whatever. And uh, apparently she was pregnant when she got struck. And that this is the source of Sunfire's powers. No, because it says, I remember that she died a few years later. <laughs> so unless she was pregnant for a few years. Oh, I see. Okay, I got that wrong. Okay, so she, hmm, she got radiation? She was irradiated, basically, and she died giving birth to uh, Sunfire. And... Yeah. But yes, it was definitely a result of Hiroshima. And then Uncle took young Sunfire to the sent to his to a certain place in Hiroshima and showed off the ruins and asked him to put his hands, Sunfire that is, into the soil. Which causes Sunfire to explode sort of with with he writhes in pain. At the very touch of the sand seems to set him on fire. He feels as if a raging furnace burns within his breast. Uncle Which apparently is what the uncle thought was going to happen. Uncle apparently has always suspected that he was a mutant. Which is okay. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uncle Uncle also uh, was was correct in his guess that if he would hold out his hands and just start hurtling energy, it would it would be sun fire coming from his hands. <laughs> uncle, Play your that. fingers earthward, and you shall see proof of what I say. Yes, I shall. But what? Fire! The blazing sun of the sun! The blazing fire of the sun itself, hurtling from my outstretched fingertips. Then I am a mutant. One of those born with dormant but deadly powers. Dormant no longer, boy. Now speak the sacred oath I taught you since you were a childhood. And he waited a long time to, like, reveal these powers. Well, you know, I mean, if this holds true to the mutant lore that's already been established, uh, you have to wait until puberty or some... But how did Uncle know to take him to Hiroshima ruins, like... I don't know. Right at this time. <laughs> maybe because uh, Uncle... Ooh, he's 16. It must be time. Maybe because Uncle told these stories over and over and over again by the time he was 16 and they put their hands in the sand, which is probably a um, metaphor for the ashen bodies or whatever. It evoked such an emotional response from Sunfire that that's when his powers uh, ignited. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm sure Roy Thomas was writing that in the backstory. <laughs> it just never made it to the page. So, so what we learn basically is that uh, Sunfire, uh, Shiro Yoshida, has basically been uh, brainwashed by his uncle to believe that he must uh, wreak a vengeance upon those responsible for Hiroshima. Who are the Americans? Right. And we find out that this man's name is Shiro Yoshida. Which means that he is, well... Some relation to the man that he attacked earlier in this issue. Exactly. That was a Mr. Yoshida. Or just, uh, just a coincidence. We'll find out. If it was a coincidence, man, that would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. They're related. It's like Marvel couldn't come up with any like other Japanese names. <laughs> so uh, let's call him Yoshida too. All right. Anybody who's Japanese in the Marvel universe is just named Yoshida. Done. Moving on. So Uncle takes hours and days and months to practice, hidden to practice, so that uh, Yoshida or yeah. Shiro can master his powers. And apparently Uncle also makes a costume for Shiro and names him Sunfire. You must wear our ancient colors and be known as Sunfire. More training happens. Sunfire reveals that he's harnessed his powers to enable him to fly. So now he is ready to take on his enemies. And so they travel to America. And meanwhile after they get done telling themselves the stories that they already know, <laughs> they decide that they're going to, the moment is almost at hand when America can be humbled in the eyes of the world. 
at which point we flash to the X-Men's ship. And Adam, do you know which ship this is? I was going to ask you, which ship is this? This ship is the one that they took from the Sentinels uh, hmm. six or four or five issues ago. Okay. All right. Want to know how we know that? Does it look like the one they took from the Sentinels? Yes. But, I mean, they do have a habit of just drawing random uh, spaceships for them to fly around in. Not Don Heck. He's a pro. <laughs> He's like, it's got to be continuity is everything. Don't you understand? They revisit this particular ship in the hidden years. Oh, they do? Yes, they do. To try to connect everything. Mm. So I guess That's that doesn't great. really mean anything, but. For all intents and purposes, this is the Sentinel ship that they took. Anyways. Well, they seem to be flying about with a another Cerebro. One would assume an even smaller Cerebro. And finally, after flying around uh, the UN, near above the UN, they, uh, just, they, they finally get a strong reading from directly below... And uh, Cyclops sends Angel down to check it out, and it's a diplomatic vehicle. If we interfere with one of those, says Marvel Girl, we'll be in international hot water. Do you think they have little Cerebros that are like those Russian nesting dolls where you just keep opening <laughs> it and there's another smaller one inside? Yes. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, Marvel Girl asks Scott if she if he thinks that Cerebro could be mistaken, and he says not in a not one chance in a zillion. Gene. Wow, so he's pretty confident. But since it's a international diplomatic vehicle, they decide to just follow the car and have have well have Angel follow the car, and they will disappear and keep into mental contact. Uh, Angel follows them to JFK Airport and sees three Japanese men get out of the car, and he recognizes all of them. Saburo Yoshida, along with his brother, uh, uncle, and one Shiro Yoshida, his number one son, because <laughs> he's got many sons, and this is his favorite. Uh, apparently the explanation for him being so wise to what's going on is he read an article in uh, last week's life. It's true. So there you go. Uh, Angel, when he's not busy being a playboy, likes to take some time and read a magazine. Yep. Get, him, get himself educated. So he realizes that they're boarding a plane. So, you know, rather than like getting the flight number and heading back to their magical sentinel ship to follow them... He decides well, he doesn't see which plane they go into. Oh, he doesn't. Oh, okay, okay, all right. But... So he so he kind of decides to randomly follow out one of the planes, and I guess he's going to check in the windows but of let me, each plane. Let me ask until he he spots them. Let me ask you this though: There's three planes on the tarmac, and Angel flies down to to check them out. Isn't somebody in air traffic control like, oh, oh my gosh, there's a flying man out there? All flights are grounded. Well, we don't... He waits until they take off. No, but this picture clearly shows Angel flying around while these, these airplanes are on the ground. Oh, they, well, they're pretty small, so he's pretty high up. Oh, come on. I doubt they see him. You don't think the air traffic controller's radar sees a flying man flying around? He's really high up. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think the air traffic controllers are that high. I think he's much higher than them. Uh, all right. So they ignore the man on their radar. <laughs> they say, well, there must be a mistake. But anyways, Angel... He, he checks out each plane as it goes airborne, and then he manages to get caught into a jet's intake. And this is just a stupid page. <laughs> it's totally stupid. Adventures of Angel being incompetent. <laughs> he basically gets sucked in, and the X-Men have to save him using a combination of an ice barrier and Jean's telekinesis. Yeah, meanwhile... They bailed me out again, says Angel. <laughs> so then they flash into one of the cockpits and say, oh, I think there was a man out there with a mask and wings, and they make a joke. But I'm wondering what happens next, because that whole engine is caked with ice. Do they crash and burn and die? No, they manage not to, because Iceman is 
just has like really good aim and he manages not to damage the engine. Oh. <laughs> and he manages to freeze it up in such a way that it doesn't hinder its it its uh performance at all. Oh, and somehow that magically unsticks Angel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess it it lowers the the suction of the the intake. Where do you think the X-Men get fuel for the little Sentinel car? <laughs> I have to go back to Sentinel Mountain every couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. So they fly into the nation's capital. and uh, It takes unleaded. <laughs> wow. And the airplane is being followed by the Sentinel car, which, again, come on, doesn't air traffic control say, like, uh, flight number well, again, they're really 1217, far away. you're being tailed by an unidentified object, heading into Washington next to a monument. Hello, terrorists. <laughs> there were terrorists back in the 70s. <laughs> oh, no terrorists in the 70s. All right, fine. <laughs> okay. I guess that wasn't until 19-what? 76 <laughs> they invented terrorists clearly Roy S Thomas wasn't thinking that one through it's no it, it's not, it's not just leave, leave, the, leave the poor comic book alone <laughs> it's not the comic book's fault it's inaccurate alright move on so they're at one of the city's plushest hotels this is Uncle and Shiro and Uncle is reminding him that it's just about time. Is this Uncle or is this Father? That's Uncle. Are you sure? He says, he says, out there is the enemy, nephew. Oh, I got confused about this. Okay, so Uncle's trying to like, come on, let's get him. Oh, I thought these two people were the same person because uh, Shiro says they're going to tremble for what they did decades ago before the symbol of the rising sun. And then a voice from behind says... What kind of unreasoning treason do you speak? And then... And then slaps him upside the head because his father has entered the room. Yeah, the pacing on the... to Uncle and Shiro. The pacing on this is really weird because it takes three panels before you realize that it was father. And for yeah, me, it and is, my... It is sort of confusing. For my short-term um, <laughs> <laughs> attention span, I'm like... Oh, when did Uncle grow hair, and why is he hitting him? I, what's going on? <laughs> With a single blow, I could know he is my father. It would be blasphemy, but he shall change his mind later. Meanwhile, Gene and Cyclops have integrated themselves with a group of high school kids and a visiting ladies' club so that they can get a tour of... I, uh, the capital. The capital? Doesn't... Yeah, okay, they're going to the capital, but they're... Okay, yep, of the capital. And they notice uh, some of the Yashida clan heading off into a different direction, a sealed-off wing. Gene says, Scott, isn't that Saburo Yoshida following his son into that sealed-off wing? But then you turn to the next page, and at that very moment in a nearby cloakroom... <laughs> Well, oh. Sabiro is entering a room where his son is fully dressed as Sunfire. So does that mean that Sunfire was like just walking around in his Sunfire costume? Uh, and that's what Gene saw? No. First of all, the cloakroom is the sealed off wing. Just Gene doesn't really know the Capitol all that well. She's just assuming like, oh, we're in the Capitol. That must be a sealed off wing. But it's just a cloakroom. You'll see there's a uncle down there. He's holding some clothes, and I think that those are the clothes that Sunfire was wearing. So Sunfire it was... says, and at that very moment... Well, he got... So at the very moment that Jean Grey and Cyclops are talking, watching uh, Shiro Yoshida walk into the room, well, he... his father oh. is entering the room, seeing him dressed as Sunfire. That's a good point. That's a continuity error. Well, yes, all they had to do was get rid of this stupid <laughs> and at that very moment in a nearby cloakroom. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. Or, or reword it somehow. But yeah, that's, I think, I think the intention was this, that she sees Saburo Yoshida entering the room, not following his son. Or she's... We don't, see the, we don't see the sun in this previous panel. Yeah, but I think it's also to allude that uh, Saburo is following his son 
And then the next panel is to infer that, oh my god, I just walked in, and you're Sunfire. But since he wouldn't be walking around in his Sunfire costume, and he is here, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think that was the intent, was to say, oh, it's off panel, so let me tell you what's happening over there. Right. So, what are you doing? So anyways, uh, Saburo's like, you're the dog they call Sunfire. Yeah, please stand aside, father. And then he slaps him. No, you will. You shall not disgrace your father and your country. And I guess uh, I will see to your father, Shiro, says uncle, raising his fist. Mm-hmm. Now go and do what you came to do. Apparently uncle is going to kill Saburo right here in this cloakroom. Well, we'll get back to that. Yeah, I know. Sunfire flies up over the Capitol and he has a long conversation with himself. He's convinced that his father is just misguided and that he just forgot. Yes. About Hiroshima. Yes. That's that's all of that dialogue in a nutshell. Meanwhile, as he's flying around, Angel comes back to to have a chat with him. And we get a classic four panel set. A classic Don Heck four-panel set of action where Sunfire blasts uh, Angel's, but kind of misses, but singed his wings pretty bad. And then Iceman sees that his wings are on fire and freezes them and basically putting Iceman out of commission or uh, Angel out of commission. Angel falls to his death with a huge chunk of ice uh, frozen to his back. Uh, twice the one called Iceman has diverted one of my attacks, says Sunfire. He shall never do so again. And he goes... Now, from looking at this, I would assume that Sunfire is blasting Angel, but I guess he's actually blasting Iceman. Yeah, well, he turns his attention for some reason. Rather than the falling person who can't do anything to defend himself, he turns his attention to Iceman, who is on the ground and throws up a quick ice shield, which... If uh, not for the words on these pa- this page, it would make absolutely no sense at all. Because if, if, you don't see Iceman at all. No, well, no, you just see the ice coming on... Well, I mean, you see the ice getting zapped onto uh, Angel's back. It's just strange. It is very strange. Iceman Ice looks... Man throws up an ice shield in order to protect himself, but it's melting, and the and the and the the, uh, the ice shield is turning into red hot steam, and that knocks Iceman out. Yep. Angels crashed on the ground, so now it's down to Cyclops and Marvel Girl, because as you remember, Beast is back at the apartment. But no, 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 says Cyclops. You're staying out of this, little lady. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just levitate me up to the Capitol Dome and then take care of Angel. Yeah, so much. And then Angel says, "Get him, psych! Get him from me!" <laughs> so much for women's lib. Yeah, let's let's put, take the only person on the team who actually accomplishes anything and throw her to the sideline. You just wait. <laughs> An announcement comes over the uh, Capitol uh, um, over or the uh, loudspeaker, telling everybody to leave in an orderly fashion. There's a few notes about orderly. Are they kidding? Anybody who's orderly is dead. Marvel Girl lifts up a Cyclops who apparently has shrunk down to the size of a munchkin. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at her fingers, the fingers look like they're just behind his leg, kind of making it look like she's got a little Cyclops action figure. <laughs> here goes Scott, but I still wish... Don't even say it, girl. From here on, it's Cyclops' show. <laughs> it looks silly. So he's levitated onto the top of the dome for some reason. And what better place to blast Sunfire? I guess. The ground, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Sunfire is attacking, I don't know, random targets? He's shooting at the, the Capitol building. He's going to destroy the dome on the top of the Capitol building. So he... For, for whatever reason. Because that's going to be the spectacle the world needs to see for them to realize how bad America is, I guess. Yeah. So he starts firing away, and apparently Cyclops knew exactly what part of the dome was going to be attacked because he's able to counter-shoot the Sunfire Beam. All right, so here's where I had a little physics issue. <laughs> oh, you, you, you did, did you? <laughs> 
Just... Sunfire shoots heat, and Cyclops's power is force. Does force stop heat? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, 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 sure. Well, apparently it does. <laughs> I mean, heat heats heats some. I'm not a scientist, but it's a molecule, right? And a molecule. Sunfire even says pushed. some new force halted my solar blast. Yet that is not possible. <laughs> well, he doesn't know. Yeah, know. <laughs> he's just saying that. I don't know. I feel like if you were to apply enough force, you could make heat go somewhere else, right? I mean, like a fan can push heat elsewhere. But would all of the heat? I mean, it seems like he would just drive a force, like, through the heat. Yes. It it does. Yes, I agree. So it would be heat hitting Cyclops in the face and Cyclops shooting through the heat, maybe pushing a little bit of it away, but then hitting um, Sunfire in the hand, because that's where he would be aiming. Yeah, right. they, they wouldn't counteract each other like, like it's being depicted on this page. And then in the next panel, we see Cyclops shooting Sunfire's hand, and it looks like Cyclops is reclining. He's got his like arm back behind his head. He's like, oh, yeah, doing my thing. <laughs> Nothing to see here. All in a day's work for Cyclops. It's, and his boots are white. It's Cyclops time. Yep, his boots are white. <laughs> it's the Cyclops show. And uh, so apparently his plan is to let uh, Sunfire get closer and closer and closer until I think his idea was to like punch him in the face, but Sunfire gets the upper hand on him. Well, no, his idea was to grab, like, to jump and grab uh, the flying Sunfire, oh. which he does. And then it looks like Sunfire blasts him in the face. It does. But it looks like, I guess he's just slapping him. So, uh, fool, did you think I'd be unprepared for one last desperate leap? So as Cyclops jumps to get Sunfire, Sunfire jumps over him, shoots him in the face with his heat beam, I guess Cyclops is falling, but Sunfire... Marvel Girl saves the day! Basically, Marvel Girl proves to be the only effective person on the team (laughs) by not only saving Cyclops' life, but by pulling Sunfire away from Cyclops. She whips his head back with great force, Mm -hmm. snapping his neck. Uh, Not quite. And she lowers the X-Men to the... Yeah, she lowers uh, Cyclops to the ground... And I think turns her attention away from Sunfire. So I think Sunfire is free to go about his business. Yeah, he is. Well, he's got, he's like massaging his neck. He, he hurts. Yep. But so, then it turns out that his father has now taken Cyclops' place at the top of the dome. And they start to negotiate. But my uncle says, I should really do this. No, your uncle's a sick and hating man. You really, you really ought to think for yourself, son. At which point, Uncle shows up with a gun and shoots his fa- uh, Sunfire's father. Well, Sunfire's father gives him an ultimatum, too. He's like, look, you can blow up this dome, but if you blow it up, you're blowing up me, too. So choose. And Sunfire's yeah, choose having a... son and choose now. He's having you a different... not choose, Shiro. I shall make the choice for you. Blam! Or crack, I guess. And, uh, yeah. Uncle shoots... Uh, his father why didn't he do this earlier when he was clearly i'll take care of your father well i mean i I guess since this is his uncle that means that this is his father's brother so there was like a little bit of like all right you dumb old man i'm I'm gonna let you live but he doesn't seem to have a problem shooting him now well now he's just gone too far (laughs) um maybe he was maybe he was like i will see you to your father shiro and then after sunfire left he was like stay here brother i'm <laughs> gonna go get a, i'm gonna go get something i'll be right back don't move though don't 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 move uh so shiro without meeting uh missing a beat turns around and blasts uncle killing him although in the second panel he's making a dive bomb for his father but then in the third panel he's or the fifth panel he's making a dive bomb for his father and then in the sixth panel he's shooting his uncle doesn't look like he could be doing both those things. Well, he flies down, and as an afterthought, he's like, well, I'm going to get that dirty uncle, and he, he, he <laughs> flings his hand in an upward position, 
and just lets off the first shot, which happens to be right on the mark. And it says right here, with an instant, uh, an instant later, he snuffs out a life which had fed on hatred and Holocaust. Wow. Like, he's dead. There's yeah. nothing, nothing, no mystery about this. He's dead. Sunfire murderer. He runs over to his father. His father is dying, um, but there's kind of like a one last moment to make amends type thing. Live his only. father says, live only for the future, Shiro, not for the past. Forge, Forge the tools of peace from the chains of war. Poignant stuff. And the cop walks over and he's like, we'll wait over here for you, son. (laughs) So (laughs) he comes over to tell him that we're going to arrest you, but we'll give you a minute. And uh, so the X-Men come out of the, uh, I I don't know, I guess they were hiding maybe, but they come. Well, yeah, they they see the cops there. So they don't want to get arrested Mm because they'll get blamed. So they, so they're hiding in the, in the forest. Yeah. And they see Shiro and they're, if only we could have reasoned with him, reached him in time somehow. And Zygob says, well, maybe the next one. Yeah, <laughs> says Iceman. Maybe the next one. And Two- then we get this this uh, great panel of, like, Shiro kneeling before his father with, like, a tiny little head and gigantic shoulders. <laughs> and his hands are out. And it just, it's just, a, it's, it's an awful, it's an awful drawing. It is pretty, pretty bad. And then the very last panel is him with his head completely buried in his hands over his dead father. And the police... The mill- cops stare at nothing. The police are milling about, just waiting. Anytime you're ready over there, Shiro, <laughs> we're going to take you into custody. They're totally, like, discussing the the Knicks game. <laughs> and there you have it. The intro and origin of Sunfire. Perhaps we'll see this young, promising mutant sometime in the future. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, he's a one-time, one-hit wonder, I guess. Um, I paged through the letters section. There was just the only interesting letter in here was uh, a letter about somebody who completely hated and thought that Neil Adams was the worst artist ever. I read that one. Did you? I thought that was kind yeah. of funny. His P.S. was that he would like to have Havoc and Lorna Dane be members of the X-Men. That was it. So that's. There's actually another letter about how Neil Adams sucks in this one too. Oh, is there? Yeah. Which letter? Uh, Ronald Barrington. Never have the X Men looked so unreal. Please give us back Don Heck or Werner Roth. <laughs> Interesting. Well, anyways. Uh, I have nothing against Neil personally, and I'm sure he's a great guy, but his artwork needs a little practice. <laughs> Thanks, random kid. <laughs> yeah, that Neil guy, he's, go, he's going nowhere. So it's uh, it's the countdown to giant size number one. Is it? It is. Oh, we got, we got, we got plenty of material for filler in between there, though. <laughs> We've got the two issues left. We've got issue sixty-five and sixty-six, and spoilers. That's it for classic X-Men. Then we move yeah. on to, I don't know. Can you call them modern once they get to giant size? It seems like it's at this point more of a Silver Age thing, even though it's not really Silver Age. It's like the Silver Age of the modern age. Have we entered? Well, it's into- weird because the modern age is like in the past. Has, have we entered a new age yet? I think we're in the postmodern age. What? So I always thought like the age is... Actually, I believe we're in the digital age. Eh. I think that's a term that Kevin Smith coined, and I don't know if that's accurate. Like, uh, I thought... Well, I mean, I guess it could be, because I thought that the ages changed when the formats changed. Like, I thought Golden Age was a little bit different size than Silver Age, which is a different size than Modern Age. Right, which is why digital age makes sense. And I guess you're right. Then you have the digital age, which would be a completely different format change. Hmm. Okay. Well, anyways, it's it's the uh, if this were the golden age of the modern age, then what we'll be entering will be the silver age of the modern age. How's that work? Wow. <laughs> I coined that. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody put it on Wikipedia quick. 
It's up to you, man. <laughs> I don't. So uh, yeah, so I, I guess I'm just putting it out there for the audience. Is there anything that you are aching to to hear about in the lead up to Giant Sized Number One, other than some of the stuff we already have planned? Well, there's plenty of material, and and Jeremy and I will have to discuss what we're going to cover and what we're not, and how we're going to cover it and how we're not. Yeah, because I mean, the thing is, is there's uh, five years between um, when this series ends and when Giant Size picks up. So stuff was happening in the Marvel Universe. And I, for one, am curious to see what that was, because I don't know most of that. What I do want to hit back on is something that I wanted to mention a while ago. This is a letter that came from uh, Mr. Matthew Booth. He's, this is in response to episode number 61 when we were talking about Mark Gruenwald. After you and I talked about him and uh, his uh, letter to the X-Men and then a response to his letter in X-Men a few issues later, it prompted me to, rather than speculate about who this man was, to actually go and look it up. And I did, but then Matthew Booth also sent in his email, which confirmed everything I had read. Basically, we probably read the same Wikipedia article. But he was a comics fan from the get-go, uh, eventually made it into uh, as a et- writer and an editor for Marvel. And uh, I thought, wow, that would be so cool. We could write him a letter and say, hey, we read your letter in X-Men <laughs> and the response to your letter. And we do this goofy little X-Men show. And we'd love it if you could give us like a, you know, a five-minute thing or maybe even just say, like, I'm Mark Gruenwald and you're listening to Danger Room. Uh, but sadly, he, he passed away <laughs> sometime in the 90s, I guess. But interestingly enough, his most famous work or his most well-received work or whatever uh, was Squadron Supreme. And when he died, they put his ashes, per his request, in the first printing trade paperback of Squadron Supreme. That's pretty cool. That's just like the blood that they put into the Kiss comic book, right? Oh, I'd never heard that. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the Kiss comic book, they took a sample of each one of, uh, of the members of Kiss and mixed it into the red ink. Wow. So if you own a copy of that, you you own a piece of Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd rather have this, and I don't I don't know I don't actually know anything about Squadron Supreme. So it's pretty good. I, I've actually I've I've I knew this story before, uh, but I didn't remember that it was Mark Gruenwald. So then you didn't remember it. <laughs> no, I knew the story. I just didn't remember who it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. That's But the... I read Squadron Supreme and and uh yeah, that was it was the story is told in Squadron Supreme, the trade paperback version that I read, which was not a first printing. Oh. oh okay. Well, that's pretty cool. But it's a, it's a good check out Squadron Supreme. It's like seven issues. It's pretty interesting stuff. I'll have to check that out. The premise being superheroes decide that humans can't deal with the world. So they take over it, take it over for themselves. Does this, uh, happen within the continuity of the Marvel universe? It's a whole other universe. Oh, okay. I would have to be, I kind of like that idea. You know, I think, well, I guess Marvel's tried it many times with their alternate universes and they never really seem to work out, but I really feel like they put their B squad on those. I get. I should say that I've not read the. Um, uh, what's the current like? Peeps like I'm referring to. Uh, remember the new universe twenty years ago? Oh boy! Or uh, twenty ninety nine universe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, those failed miserably. But what are the like? I guess you got Ultimate Universe, and then there's isn't there like a new, like there's new Spider Man, new X Men. Aren't those all in a different universe? Yeah, those are all the the other. Wait, what? What's new Spider-Man and new? Isn't there, or did I just make that up? I think you made that up. Unless you're talking about something that I just don't know what you're talking about. I really don't know. There's there's so many titles out there <laughs> and so many different things go. But isn't there? There's also like retelling. Oh, Ultimate. I'm talking about Ultimate. Supposedly in the same universe, but are just retellings. Okay. Well, I don't know. I guess. On one hand, it's kind of neat for for continuity buffs, uh, but on the other hand, it's kind of obnoxious when you're like, I want to tell an original story, but you're kind of hamstrung by um, 
the Marvel Universe rules. For example, uh, four or five, yeah, yeah, about four or five years ago, they came out with the External series. I think, and I, uh, I, or the Eternal uh, Eternals stories. Um, and, uh, I read those, those were really good, uh, seemed to try to take place outside of the Marvel universe as much as possible, even though they were part of the Marvel universe. But since it took place during the whole civil war story, they had to refer back to that a couple of times. I was like, ah, I just wish this would stand on its own. Like it doesn't need to refer to anything else. Yeah. That's always tough. Yeah. And they have big crossover events like that. They just have to refer to the, them. The cool thing about Squadron Supreme is that it's all self-contained, although like they would go on to occasionally cross over with the Fantastic Four and, and the Avengers and like have uh, like they would dip into each other's universes. Well, that's fine. I like that. That's a cool idea. But all the Squadron Supreme people are essentially... Uh, Marvel versions of DC characters. So you got your Superman, your oh. Wonder Woman, your uh, Batman, Flash, all that guys. And they're all kind of like, what if? It's sort of like a what if? What if DC decided to do this? Okay. Uh, okay. Well, um, let's see. We got a couple of other things to to drop on you guys. Uh, check out uh, the webpage, our webpage at www.redcatproductions.com. We've been slowly releasing some of our speculations on the new uh, upcoming X-Men Days of Futures past movie. I'm not sure how many parts that will ultimately be, but currently there's three parts out there. And when it's all done, there'll be a much larger, all-inclusive podcast that uh, accompanies it. So keep your eyes open for that. It's also cross-posted on Facebook, so you can you can get it there as well. And we have our um, Google Voice number. Oh, that's right. Yeah, which is it's one five zero one get X Men five zero one get X Men, and those numbers would be what four three eight nine six three six. So give that a call. Uh, don't worry if you're if you're shy. Nobody will answer it. It's Google. It's completely in the cloud, baby. And uh, it will send us your voice message. And if you send us something voice fancy enough, why, we will put it right on this podcast here. And you can hear yourself leaving us a message on this podcast. Wouldn't that be exciting? Ask us some questions. Mm-hmm. Interact with us. Let us know you're out there. Yeah, you could ask us a question on the Google Voice. We would do it, and then we would answer your question. It would be like we're talking to you, but not really talking to you. It's magical. <laughs> it would be, we would have to, we would get to avoid all of the awkwardness of not actually knowing you and being able to answer your question. You can ask us a question like Christopher Sanderson does on our Twitter feed. What did he ask us? He asked us, what comic have you guys read so far that you feel best represents the Silver Age X-Men? Hmm. Like, uh, I, I don't know how to answer that. I don't know what, yeah. what would define the Silver Age X-Men. I mean, obviously, other than issues 1 through 66. Um, well, that's, that's the question. <laughs> best defines it. Like, I feel like best defining it would be finding the corniest issue, the cheesiest, corniest issue and saying this represents the silver age of X-Men. Like the, the locust issue would be <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's just a God awful, terrible issue. And, you know, I, I, the, you know, it's representative of the wordy overwriting, the corny villains, the you will bow at the power of the locust. I don't know. I guess that would be my example, but I'll tell you my, my all time favorite, I think. Yeah. My all time favorite is the first juggernaut story. When the professors got the X-Men locked in the danger room and he's telling them about the juggernaut and, and you keep flashing to outside the juggernaut's coming and he's coming and the barriers are being tripped but you never actually see the juggernaut until just the very end it's very reminiscent uh, well not reminiscent but because it predates but kind of like jaws where you're just talking about it a lot and you're building it up and then finally boom there it is so that's my favorite issue hmm. well spoken how about you adam what's what what issue uh best or storyline best represents uh, silver age x-men for you 
Well, reading these, the first thing that pops into mind is that I, I feel like the most fun to do issues were the, the Kesar and Zebu ones. <laughs> really? Um, I, I, I don't know why, but we just particularly had a fun time with them. That's fun. Um, That's fun. And so that for me is kind of like represents what I think of when I think of the the Silver Age X-Men. Uh, probably my favorite issues were the first Sentinel series. Um, uh, that's, all, that's all I can think of. Yeah, no, the first Sentinel is, series is very good. It's just, I think um, the reason why the first Juggernaut story sticks in my head so much, I mean, the, the Sentinel story may have been better, and maybe even the Neil Adams stuff is classically defined as better but it's uh it was the first issue that i read where i was like wow that was really good and not just like oh it's classic and it's it's, it's like it's early and it, it's introducing characters but i was like that, that was legitimately like i uh really um without sounding cheesy it was like i was on the edge of my seat that whole issue even that was a really good issue and it was really unique too especially for like the stuff surrounding it it, it it's uh it's just a really good example of a unique take on, on the medium. Yep. And so since it had the benefit of being the first that I got to read in that cycle, so uh, that's why it stands out among that rather than the It's like a horror film almost. Exactly. That's I guess Maybe that's why I like it since I like horror films so much. So anyways, how about you... Um, listeners what what do you think of the question at hand what what issue i mean we're getting towards the end i i can't imagine that 65 and 66 would qualify but maybe they will uh what issue have we read so far that has best represented the the classic or silver age of the x-men put a put a little note uh, i don't know either on our twitter feed or out on the facebook page and, and let us know what you think yeah and thank you for the question christopher uh let's see Anything else? No, I think that's it. I feel um, it. You know, we've been getting a couple of stuff on on the Facebook. Keep those coming. It's always fun to hear from everybody. Don't forget to visit us at www.redcapproductions.com forward slash danger room or our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast or our Twitter feed, which is at danger room go. Uh, and you can email us at danger room at redcat productions.com and you can listen to us on stitcher or you can go into itunes and you can just type in danger room so many different ways to uh to connect with us all right then well until next time the danger room is closed the new pontiac sunfire with 120 horsepower dual airbags and anti-lock brakes is one hot set of wheels but starting at 11.7 its price won't burn you